Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, we have a trade. But maybe not what you're thinking. Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's 1233 at Edmonton. The Edmonton Oilers have the 76th overall pick, third-round pick. Again, I believe the Oilers were looking at Luke Prokop. He went 73rd to the Nashville Predators. Um, maybe Jean-Luc Foody as well. Uh, both guys can skate. Prokop is six foot four, right shot T. Uh, Foody eh, might be about 5'11", uh, right shot centerman uh, out of a family with some prolific athletes. Anyhow, bottom line here is the Edmonton Oilers have traded down from 76 with the San Jose Sharks and gotten a fourth and fifth round pick. And uh, to get uh, some explanation out of some of those deals work, a uh, longtime NHL executive uh, spent the last couple days doing some work for Sportsnet. We welcome to the show as our Oilers Now headliner for Touchback Safety. When it's time for safety training, trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. Your safety is their goal. The first time I heard this guy's name was in the 1989 National Championship game. Alberta lost 4-3 in uh, double overtime, and I've hated Mark Applewaite to this day. We welcome to the show Mike Fuda. Mike, how are you doing? Actually, Bob, I'm doing pretty I feel much better now after this lead because I, I feel the exact opposite about Mark Applewaite. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, you should. We were talking the other day. We got a shot 62-15 to and uh, double overtime, and then uh, Danny Retzko finally scored, and uh, it was one of the most lopsided – Victory's going the other way, but it was special for us. That's for sure. Being in church, but he, what a game! What an incredible team that was. That was like playing against the old group boys against men. But it, it was fun for us. But that was an incredible team. That was like an American uh, hockey league team. Yeah, Doug McCarthy, Stacy Wakabayashi, uh, Sid Cranston were on that team. Adam Morrison, who scored 50 goals in the WHL, got offered NHL deals, th- uh, three-year deals, may I add. The first two years he was at the U of A. Then the deals got cut down to two-year deals once he was 23. Uh, that team was loaded up front. So, uh, And here's the worst part, Mike. Applewaite did it to him in 84-85. He stoned him in the national championship final that year, too, and beat him 3-2. I, I, I was just fortunate that he uh, 
I got his law. He came back to go to law school at Christmas. <laughs> so, <laughs> we didn't have him in the first half. We did, and then when we got him, it was a no knock on Willie Pop because he was a great OHL goaltender as well. But when when Apps decided to play the second half of the season and got out of law school, our, our fortune certainly changed. I think he was something like ten and one with a. 0.98 goals against there and the shoot shot percentage was out of the. It was he wasn't getting much run support, but geez, could he pitch? All right, so you've worked the last several years for the Kings organization. Uh, been heavily involved in their drafts and that sort of thing. You're on Sportsnet last night. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of it because I was bluffing my way for four hours on the air last night on our show. Uh, you know, Seth Jarvis and uh, Luke Prokop, I think, were two guys the Oilers were hoping to get at 14 and uh, 76, and Seth went 13th. And I know you've got to be ready. Edmonton got Dylan Holloway at 14th. It was a unique draft. Maybe just give me a thought for our Oilers listeners out there because you were, I know you're involved in this sort of stuff up until a pause. Uh, what's your What's your take on Edmonton getting Dylan Holloway at 14th overall? Well, first off, it's it's not uh, you're never going to get me question Kenny Holland's draft pick. So, but I will I'll, I will tell you like last year when and when I was let go, I lost a lot of access to my notes. But because we had uh, we had Turcotte the year before, I got to see. Yeah, there was the talk was I mean he couldn't help but get notice Holloway every time he went in to see him, and and this kid is already a pro skater. And I, I think it's an amazing pick because obviously with the the speed of the Oilers, first of all, if you're drafting a kid, he's going to have to keep up. But what I found is that he was so responsible away from the puck. He plays a man's game. He hits hard. He competes hard. So even if he's so, like, he's about as, it's, safe is not a word because he's dynamic too. But if you can just picture, when I say safe, it's if he doesn't hit as a top six guy, which he has all the tools and the speed to do that, he's going to be a real productive third-line player in the National Hockey League. I, I thought it was an amazing pick. Um, I did, I had no idea. I mean, you know better than I who they had lined up as far as Seth Jarvis, obviously great pick. Western, you know, any of those Western Hockey League kid. I mean, I guess he went nuts lighting it up after the after the break. But uh, I mean, I think it was a great pick. It just adds to more. I mean, the speed of that team is just incredible. So, no, I loved it. So, the, one of the questions that people had, uh, Mike, is, I mean, you went in and you saw Wisconsin play. Um, I played with Guy Godowski's the head coach of Penn State. They had a real good year last year. Um, why Why was Wisconsin, I mean, you have Turcotte, fifth overall pick of the draft. Uh, Caulfield was there, 15th overall pick to Montreal. They had Keandre Miller. Was that team just too young? Or why Why were they, they ended up finishing last. And, and the Big Ten's going to be, it's going to be the conference in years to come. There's no question about that. But what happened last year in Wisconsin that, they did, that uh, the team wasn't better? And maybe should we be concerned about the, that, you know, Holloway basically averaged half a point per game in the NCAA, albeit he was the second youngest player in the NCAA last year? Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he, he might have battled a couple of injuries, but I mean, my take yeah. on it was without, because I think obviously Wisconsin's a first class program and the Granados are, are hockey legends. But I felt last year, sometimes when you're doing recruiting um, and you get Turcotte and Caulfield, who are obviously, they're the Lincoln Continentals of the draft the year before, you know, and they, they obviously put on clinic and they were the, the stars of the U.S. program. And then you bring young players in at college and there's always that. I mean, there's such a, you've got an established group of seniors and, and players that have put in their time. And sometimes when you put two stars in it and they become the show, and, uh, and clearly they're the show, it, it just gets their dressing room chemistry, the whole, all, the whole, it just seemed a little bit out of whack. 
I, I think uh, sometimes you're, you know, you know, the place is loaded with scouts and it's Turcotte, Caulfield, Turcotte, Caulfield and stuff. And I, I think there was a little bit of a disconnect in the dressing room. Uh, yeah. I think they probably, I think the Granados would be the first to admit when you recruit that well, the result, the results just weren't there. So, I mean, the, the story that was coming out back to us is just some of the older players were just a little disgruntled at the treatment of the younger players. And that's tough to do. It's a tough balancing act. And, I, I'm, I mean, I know Turcotte's already turned pro. Um, I'm assuming, based on what I've heard out of Montreal, Coffey's going back for another year. But maybe having a little less star power and a little more team power is going to be best for them in the long run. Mike Fudo joining us. Uh, did some work yesterday of Sportsnet, longtime NHL executive. When did you start getting involved in L.A.'s drafts, Mike? Uh, 13 years ago, I guess. This has been strange for me. This is as much as I really enjoyed last night. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a gut punch. This is the first year I'm not going to be running a draft with Mark Gennetti in uh, in Los Angeles. So it was uh, my first draft. I was hired two weeks before the draft, where the Kings were picking fourth overall. I was coming out of being the general manager in the Ontario Hockey League, so I was told by Dean Lombardi I could only discuss Ontario League players. Okay. So my kind of, that was where I had a chance. I kind of pounded the table for Wayne Simmons. Who wasn't on their list at the time, which which turned out really well. But uh, I believe it took uh, Thomas Hickey was the fourth overall. But that would have been my first year. Two weeks into it, and then Mark and I were named co-directors. And uh, the, the following year was our, you know, our Drew Doughty, uh, Boynov. We had a it was it was it was quite good. We actually had quite a good uh, crop of NHL players come out of the first draft. As well, but it was Dean had just let go of the pro uh, the amateur staff, so it was like. It was organized chaos. Everybody was scouting. Like Ron Hextall was there. Mike O'Connell was there. Jack Ferrara was here. We were all over the map. But when we got it together, we actually, you know, there's some great players who won Stanley Cups. I know Dwight King, Dwight King came out of that draft, and and uh, Alec Martinez came out of that draft. So it, it ended up work, working out quite well for us. Uh, we're joined by Mike Food, a longtime NHL executive, worked for the Kings for decade plus. Uh, so you mentioned, the, I mean, it's funny because Hickey, I thought, as, as I recall, that surprised the people when you guys took him fourth. Uh, you mentioned the next year in 2008, there's a connection to Edmonton. You got Dowdy second. <laughs> you took Colton Tuber thirteenth. Yeah, you had to go there, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, you got Dustin Penner for him. He helped you win a Stanley Cup. I know, I know, I know. You know, and he absolutely did. It was not, and it's no knock on. It, it was I, first of all the first year. It was a learning curve for me because the list is your list, right? And and I know that we were sitting there, and I know that scouts. There was a deal done with the Philadelphia Flyers where we were going to move back to six or seven I believe it was and, and we were adding another second round pick so I think internally everybody felt that we there they knew there was a jump up to take Thomas Hickey at that stage but everybody internally felt pretty good that you know getting him at seven was better than four because uh, you're still getting the guy that you covet but you're getting a nice tail and a second round pick in about three seconds before the before the pick uh, Dean came back and said they, the, the flank was the Flyers had pulled the pick off the table and uh, we're going ahead. I think they were taking Ram Reemsdyke. So it was a little bit of, a, for me, a learning curve that, you know, all of a sudden your list looks a little better when he's going seven and four, but the trade didn't go on. Next year, uh, Dean, we had a rule that no changing the list on the draft floor. And we took Drew Doughty, which was like, I mean, I mean, we actually had Doughty ahead of Stamkos on our list. So that was a dream. For, and it was more, not that they weren't both going to be Hall of Fame players. We just, we coveted the defense position better than the forward position. And right. then we got, da- we got down and we were about to take... Uh, they're about to take Myers, and and Dean had this, uh, and it's just a bit of a, it happens because at that point we weren't seeing the NHL team enough, and Dean felt that Colton Tuber, we were getting pushed around a lot in Anaheim, and uh, <laughs> and he just said, and, and then Colton Colton came into our combine interview, and it's a dangerous thing because when the general managers meet a guy, especially somebody as intense as Dean, 
you would have thought uh, Colton was uh, Clint Eastwood with Charles Bronson shoved up his yin yang, and we we left the thing, and Dean was just sold on the sold on the on the, the mean toughness they were getting out of it, and we didn't talk about it, but you could tell it. And then we had Tolbert, and he wasn't he he was four or five players back, and when we got to that slot, Dean coveted the toughness and. We made the move. I remember Ron Hextall saying, "Put a big star beside that as a presidential override," and uh, <laughs> and, and it is what it is. Because I mean, Dean Lombardi, we don't win two Stanley. He's the best draft development man I ever know. But it was one of those things. Two years later, he smacked me in the head and said, "Don't ever let me do that." And it was two years later, and I went, "What? What?" He goes, "The Tubert thing." <laughs> it was two years later, <laughs> so he was having an epiphany, I think, as we were winning the Stanley Cup. But and then we got Slavin Mavoyanov at thirty-two. So yeah. we would have walked away. Anybody, you know, anybody in hockey that thinks if you can rebuild your shot with right shot defensemen, we would have had Doughty, Myers, and Voyanov in 32 picks. That's a pretty special day at the draft floor. But as you said, you know, uh, as hockey works out, the hockey gods run our side. We were able to move Colt Tubert. Um, uh, and we ended up getting uh, Pens. And I know Pens is Pens. He's a social media nut. And I, he, was, he was awesome <laughs> for us. I mean, the guy's his personality, it was incredible. I mean, but he fit like a glove. And, I mean, he uh, he ends up scoring. I'm, I'm almost positive, too. We talked about the other day that we got um, we got another player in the draft that was key in the trade, too. We were debating which, whether it was that trade or another. But I'm pretty sure we took on an injured contract in that deal as well. And his name's on the cup, uh, yeah. too. But it, 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 was, uh, it was something else because Penn scores that goal uh, against Arizona. And I mean, you. I've often. It's funny with some of the list. It's actually with the listeners. I think they have more time for Penner, and certainly the hardcore analytics guys love Penner. Some of the writers didn't like Penner, but I, I, I personally always. I mean, the guy scored 93 goals in parts of four seasons in Edmonton before uh, the Oilers got back the number one that from you guys that turned out to be Clefbaum, as well as Tubert. And and Tubert's, you only get one chance to make a first impression, and he made quite the first impression on you guys. And the exact identical thing happened uh, with the Oilers, and, and, it, and it involved a fight. So maybe you could tell a story, and then we'll get to the draft, but you could tell a story on, uh, was it at a rookie tournament or something that Tubert decided to yeah. pick a fight with a guy? Well, it was a rookie tournament, and uh, it was against, the, I think we were playing, it might have been a rookie tournament, an NHL game, but I felt because Tubes, Tubes died, he played hard, but it's the yeah. difference between, a guy that plays hard and actually a guy who's a good fighter. And, they, and he didn't, they never fought with fear, but he ended up, I called it, I think I called it the quadruple Lindy. And it was, he ran a guy in the corner, took a minor on the penalty, instigated a fight, lost the fight and separated his shoulder in the fight. And then I think they scored on the power play. So it's actually a, it's actually a, I don't even know what a Stanquetri <laughs> Right. It's one of those ones you just feel bad for a kid because everything that happened in the sequence couldn't have gone any worse. And it got him now. You got a kid that's chomping at the bit that wants to prove himself and he's injured and he can't back back in the horse. And he, he never got back in the horse. But I, I, it was always a learning curve for me because, uh, and, and he was a, I know you've got your story as well, but it's like I, I thought about it after we spoke, Bob. And, and I remember when we drafted them, and there's certain kids that, you know, like they realize that that one day they're going to be a, that they're going to be a player, right? Like they, yep, they go yep. one, you know, they, I know it's going to take time, but I remember Tubes came down and the first interview he did, he immediately said, 
Because um, where was he playing? Was he in Edmonton Reg- playing at the time? He was in Regina. Regina, Pat, he was Regina, Regina he's, yeah, he's from and White he Rock, BC. Yeah, and played for Regina. In his first interview, he immediately said, I can't wait to get to Los Angeles because I'm sick and tired of having to plug my car in. And now I can just park, park yeah. on the street on the beach and not have to worry about my car being frozen. And I was like, whew. You know, because it's it's just the car, it's just the whole thing, and it wasn't just come, and that's confidence because he felt he was right, going to be right, ready to play, right away. And like, obviously, it's a there is a development curve before you go from the the frosty tundra to the streets of Manhattan Beach. But it was just a tough one. Great kid. I'm glad he played some years in pro and. I think yeah. he had a tough stop in Edmonton too, but it's not that this is a bad kid at all. It's just that the yeah. story and the scenario just didn't work out. For he him. was huge at a young age, right? He was like six foot oh. three, six foot four. I mean, Jerry Johansson, who had Seth Jarvis and uh, had Luke Prokop, uh, had Colton Tubert, and he was the number one pick in the WHL Bantam draft. So the Oilers get him, and he plays pretty well down in Bakersfield, at their, but down in Oklahoma City at the end of the year. The next year, we go to Penticton for the rookie tournament, and he's the captain of the Oilers team in the rookie tournament, and he squares up with. This Czech kid, and you said it, he wasn't a great fighter, and he opened himself up, and he got caught clean. I mean, he got knocked, like, just, like, as... And, 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 and you hate to see that. At, as much as teams like to, and we yeah. always same thing, because you want to see that kind of aggression in guys at rookie tournaments, but when someone gets cold-caught at a rookie tournament, and we've had it go both ways, yeah. It just you just it changes the whole dynamics. It, the building's yeah. quiet. I mean, a yeah. lot of times the kid now misses the rookie tournament, and it's, uh, I mean, he misses the main camp because he's, you know, fought in the rookie tournament. And it just, the whole confidence level can change. Well, and, and again, the impression that makes on management when they see that. We're joined by Mike Food, a longtime LA Kings executive. Uh, did some work last night for Sportsnet. Uh, last, so, Lafreniere, no surprise. Your former organization, LA Kings, and you had a good gut feel on Byfield because a lot of people thought german influence with marco sturm they would go stutzla why was byfield the right pick do you think for the kings you know the people in that organization why do you think they stepped up and took quentin at number two overall well well first of all i think you couldn't have gone wrong with either pick uh, totally different players i think there's been a lot of smaller skill players been drafted and in, in the last is mark and in the group and we kind of filled this cost even through our college free agency you know there, there were some uh, there were some smaller players added and I know last year that, uh, that Rob Blake and their staff, we really coveted Kirby Dodge. And uh, we ended up losing the draft lottery and dropping down and lost our shot at him. And not, you get a great player in Turcotte, but, you know, we had Dodge a couple of slots higher. And I just knew that big beast down the middle, you know, just a guy that just yep. has that presence. I mean, it's not, you, you can't, you can win with some, you know, obviously smaller skill, but you've got to still have, you see the teams that are, that are winning. It's the big horses that, that tend to wear teams down in the playoff series. You see the kind of players that Tampa added and stuff, and the, the St. Louis Blues, and and that, and, and then I just felt that Quinton Byfield, he's a complete year earlier, you know, six foot four, two hundred twenty-five pounds, you know, who and and when you meet him, you're thinking, okay, three years couldn't grow a player at playoff beard. This kid probably has two, twenty more pounds to add on, can skate like the wind, great hands. You yeah. know, I think both of them was like you're trying to find a pimple on a supermodel looking at the two of them together, but it's this guy is this guy just fit the mode. It was something the the size in the whole package when you got a Copatar number one that can kinda work with this kid when he finally turns pro. You don't have to rush him because you've got some good young centermen a little ahead of him, but I, I just felt the whole size and skill package just trumped the smaller elite. I think you know, I think uh that Stutzley from all counts could probably step in and play next year where I think 
no like quitting, not discarding what he does in training camp, but there's really no rush for him to hurry in next year because the Kings are going to be a young, a yeah. young team again next year. But I just felt that was the direction they were going when I left, and I felt quite comfortable saying that that's the direction where the team was still going to go regardless whether I was there or not. Mike, uh, can you take since you're involved in those Kings drafts? Can you take us through how uh, is there a guide or a book that you use when you're trading down, looking for a combination of picks, and is that universal amongst NHL organizations? So that's part one of the question, and then part two is how much is uh, how much are things analytics driven today in terms of the evaluation of prospects? Number one, and I tried to do it in a cold notes version. We did absolutely. In the way, I'll give the best, the best, and the easiest one I could give you an example of is we called them layers. Uh, we had our players in layers, and instead of beating up players and trying to just find that infinite difference, if you have guys that there's such a minute difference in their skill package, so let's say we were picking first and second in that one year, we we're picking a second. We had Stamkos and Dowdy in the same layer. We felt they were equal players. Then you, so you have two, but we covered the position of, um, we covered the position of defense ahead of, so you moved Dowdy ahead of Stankos. And realistically now, if you have the first pick overall, you have the ability to trade back one spot and get the same value player. So uh, let's move it back. Say you're picking at, uh, you've got four players, uh, one of them's a goalie, one's a defenseman, and two are left wingers. You've got four players in that spot you're about to pick. You want you feel these guys are all of equal value. Uh, you now can move back, call the next three teams on the list, and you feel you can move back three slots, and you're still going to get the same value of player. Uh, mm. Where the analytics come in now, I hope I explained it okay. It just yep. it's just a value analysis now. Where it's really taken off the analytics is now you you now look okay. You look at, for example, when you see these guys moving up. Okay, now the value of let's look at our list and now you've got actual names instead of numbers and you do your analytics and you say, okay, the value of pick 34 we think is we're going to move down to pick 41 and let's say we're going to get 56. Now you start to look at the actual names you're going to get and there's math equate involved and you see is player 34 and 56 greater than pick 26 on your list. And it was like an example where we did it was we had prior to Foley, I believe listed as I think he was like 11th overall or 12th overall on a list, and we were sitting at 645 in the second round. Yep. And we're like, okay, guys, how long are we just going to sit here with our four-leaf clover, you know, put out? We felt giving up a pick to move up two slots to take, because I felt that the scout in Colorado was in, I mean, he started to overanalyze. I mean, gosh, I've seen him in Ottawa, in Ottawa just as much as myself. He's seen me because he knows I've known to Foley since Peewee. we got to make the trade. So you, you give up your, your backhand to move up the two slots. You get to Foley. And in that case, I remember Al Heppel looking back at me going, you like, you prick. <laughs> 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 you just took to Foley off the bike. And it, it can work the wrong. I mean, sometimes you do it because you feel strong about a player. And then you look back at the pieces you gave up, and it doesn't always work out. But it's, get, it's getting way more scientific. As far as the analytics, Bob, I love them, and I think they're helpful. But I am a true believer. I guess Doug, I mean, Army that went to Arizona, he yeah. said he's like a hybrid. I think you've got to become a hybrid. The guys that are going all analytics, I think it's a crock. Yeah. Uh, I think it overdoes it. It devalues. If, if somebody wants to show me a mathematical equation that defines character and, and what a kid is like off the ice and the way he works in a the gym, then, then I'm open. 
Okay, but if I mean, and there's so many different things where you can compare a kid to where he scores from, to players from the past, and their shots from the slot, and certain leagues, how they compare against history of scoring and that. And it's amazing. And analyze different skaters versus skaters from the past. And it's another piece that you throw into that big blender. But if you're just going to go math and put a name up on the wall, Godspeed to you. There's nobody's going to convince me that that's the way it's going to go. The live viewings are huge. I think at the pro level, it holds a little more water because you've got so many more established players. Yeah. I think at the at the amateur level where there's so much more projection, there's so many more there's so many different leagues where these kids are coming in. There's a, a growth projection from how big they're going to get. And then again, you have to know it's so much. You've kind of heard by the guy by the time you're trading for, yeah, uh, uh, whatever. Um, uh, sir, Josh Hosang as a New York yeah. Islander, you probably got a pretty good idea of, you know, what he is as a pro. And you've heard the, the, the different things that people and you can analyze whether is it worth the reward of what you're going to get on the ice away some of the deficiencies that might be off the ice. But as a junior, you're just learning that. So you have to know these kids as people, so you know that. You're you're gonna make that pick an investment, and they're never. They might not make it, but they're gonna never let you down with the work ethic and the character involved to give themselves a fair chance to be a National Hockey League player. So that until that can be mathematically defined, the character of a player, analytics will always be a huge piece of it, but it's never gonna be the sole piece. Mike, we're getting texts from people saying more of this guy. Uh, we'd like to have you on again sometime. Thank you for taking time to join us here in Oilers now. Thanks very much, Bob. Pleasure talking with you. Take care. That is Mike Food, a longtime LA Kings executive. You heard him 13 years there. Prior to that, a GM in the OHL, heavily involved in the Kings uh, drafts over the years. He's our Oilers now headliner for touchback safety. When it's time for safety training, trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. Your safety is their goal. That's right. The shots were 62-15. When Fuda's uh, squad, the York Yeoman, upset the Alberta Golden Bears in the 89 championships in double overtime. Roos Chris Steakhouse, the greatest steak you've ever had. Edmonton owned and operated open Wednesday. Uh, through Sunday from 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 99.90 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. Uh, shout out to Jake Neighbors. St. Louis Blues took him in the first round at like 25-26. There's the kid that's got character. Higher offensive ceiling. He was coming on this year. Kind of got ripped off a bit because we didn't get a conclusion to the WHL schedule. We're right up against it. The Oilers are going to pick at 100. We're currently at 89 on the clock. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.